Now, each Sunday, what we have been doing in our small group Bible study, we have been taking a story from the previous week's readings, and we have been looking at it in those classes. Each fourth Sunday, we also are together quoting a verse of Scripture, a verse of Scripture. So, if you're a visitor with us this morning, surely we do not expect you to quote the verse of Scripture. But let me just say this. I know who the visitors are, and I know who are not the visitors, all right? So I'm going to be watching carefully this morning. But if you would, please stand to your feet this morning. We are going to quote. Actually, it's not one verse of Scripture. It is two verses of Scripture that we have memorized this month, and we are going to quote them together. So let's begin. One, two, three. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make straight your paths. Amen. See how easy that is? Very good. You may be seated this morning. Now you did better than the first, well, I was going to say, you know, I think you did better than the early crowd because some of them had their Bibles open. They, they used cheat sheets this morning to look. But then all of a sudden, I saw somebody sitting down with their Bible open. So that makes me question y'all as well. Was people looking at their Bibles this morning? Well, there was no notes up there for me this morning. There was no scripture. So I memorized that. I have been corrected throughout the week by my children for not getting it correct. So I'm sure if I messed it up, my son and daughter will let me know when I get home that, Daddy, that's not what that said. Part of the reason that is, is I memorized that passage of Scripture from a different version of God's Word when I first went into the ministry. I memorized it from the NIV because that was the pew Bibles we had in the church that I pastored. So I would preach from the NIV in case somebody came in to the worship service and they picked up a Bible out of the back of a pew, they would be able to easily follow along in what I was reading. Well, when I came here and started pastoring, or really over the last several years from the time I've been on the mission field, I have started preaching and reading out of the English Standard Version, the ESV. And it does read a little bit different. So, Just to let you know, I am being kept honest. Levi was correcting me last night when we were saying our verse together. It's one of the very few times in life that I let my children correct me. But he was more than glad to do that uh, on behalf of his daddy when I messed up. I said the word don't. I didn't say do not. And so I said, son, it's all the same. You know, it's a contraction. You know, I just, but that was not good enough. That's not the way it reads, daddy. All right, so if you have your Bibles this morning, I would ask that you open them up to Daniel chapter 3. Daniel chapter 3, we're going to be looking at a great story, a narrative that is found in this Old Testament book. Daniel chapter 3, the other thing that we are doing on the fourth Sunday of the month, I shared with you that I would choose some story or some passage of Scripture from our Bible reading over the last month to speak from. Well, I will tell you, I can't think of a book that is more applicable to the Christian life in the 21st century than the Old Testament book of Daniel. Of Daniel. 
Man, it is a great book. And through the stories of this book, God teaches us so much about what it means to walk by faith and not by sight. I will share with you, we live in a time and a country where it is becoming less and less popular to be a Christian. At every turn, we are being pressured more and more by outside forces to reject Jesus Christ and chase after the gods of this world. Now, I don't know about you, but I feel that pressure every day in my life. The pressure to compromise what it is that I believe. The pressure to bow my knees to the gods of this world rather than to serve the one true living God. Am I the only one that feels that pressure in life? Don't you feel that pressure as you are living life out there in a real world? Well, if you say, I feel that pressure this morning, I know exactly what it is that you are speaking about today, Brother Jeff, then I will tell you, you can relate to the men in this story today. Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they faced hostility from people in an an agonistic government that opposed them at every turn. From the point they arrived in Babylon, the government leaders sought to change everything about these men's lives. From the food they ate to the literature they read, they even changed their names to reflect the pagan gods of the culture that they lived in. This book has it all. It takes you from the courts of the king to the dens of the lions. It is a great book. And as I stated earlier, I cannot imagine a book that is more applicable to our lives today than the Old Testament book of Daniel. So if you have your Bibles this morning, I would ask that you open them up to chapter 3. Just find your place there, chapter 3. We're going to begin reading in chapter 3, verse 8. It is a rather lengthy passage of Scripture, but the reason I want to read it all, it helps us to set this book in its right context, or this story in its right context. And what I'm hoping that we will learn from this story today is three truths that when we apply them to our lives will enable us to walk with confidence in the midst of the fiery furnaces of life. You ever gone through one of those before? Yeah. I will tell you, we can learn some important lessons, some important truths from this story. So listen with me or follow along with me as I begin to read chapter 3 verse 8. Therefore that therefore at that time certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. They declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, "O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigen, The harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. 
There are certain Jews who you have appointed over the affairs of the, of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, if you, are ready to, if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigen, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, to fall down and worship the image that I have made, well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will de deliver you out of my hands? Now, aren't you thankful that Nebuchadnezzar was such a gracious king? Don't you see that there? He gave them a second opportunity to do what was right in his eyes. Now, wasn't that gracious of him? Listen to the rest of this story. He's not near as gracious as he appears to be, I assure you of that. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. Now, I love verse 18. Verse 18 is one of my favorite verses in the entire Word of God. I want you to just listen to it and just kind of let it sink into your mind and your heart what they're saying. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. We want you to know something, O king. Even if our God chooses not to work in the manner in which we would hope that he would work, it won't change our commitment to him. We're going to choose to trust in God regardless. Now, I want to tell you something. Listen to me carefully, folks. That is real faith. Faith doesn't try to manipulate God into doing what you want Him to do. Real faith, trusting God in spite, trusting and believing that God will always work for His best interest and for His kingdom's honor and glory, and He will do it, and regardless of how God chooses to work, we are simply going to trust in Him no matter what. I'm going to tell you what. Man, these guys here understood what it was to walk by faith and not by sight. Now you say, well, Brother Jeff, they're saved from the fiery furnace. And yes, they are, but can I tell you something? They didn't know that when they made this decision. They have just stood in the face of the most powerful man on earth and defied his orders. King, for us, the matter is settled. Regardless of how our God chooses to work, we refuse to bow our knees to the king, I mean to the gods of this world. We will not do it. 
I'm going to tell you what, you could just close the Bible right there. We could just pray and go home, huh? But we're not going to do that, all right? I, want, I, I didn't want to set you up to be, uh, you know, disappointed this morning. We're going to go on with verse 18. Then uh, Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury, and the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated, and he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the fi- burning, fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and their other garments, and they were thrown into the burning, fiery furnace. Because the king's order was urgent, and the furnace overheated, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Didn't really pay to be in the king's army that day, did it? And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the burning, fiery furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, True, O king. He answered and said, But I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning fiery furnace. He declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire. And the satraps and the prefects and the governors and the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not had any power over the bodies of those men. The hairs of their heads was not singed. Their cloaks were not harmed. And no smell of fire had come upon them. Oh my goodness. You know, if you've ever stood in the smoke of a fire... Man, you smell like fire and smoke for how many days afterwards? It's like it leaches into your skin or something. These guys have just been thrown into the fiery furnace and they come out with no smell at all upon their body. God has a way of protecting His own, doesn't He? Just like in this story. It's an amazing story. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants, who trusted in him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. Therefore I I make a decree. Any people, nation, or language that speaks again speaks anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, shall be torn limb from limb, and their houses laid in ruins. For there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Let me just say this real quick before we jump into the message. We're going to have a word of prayer, but let me just say this very clearly. One of the great truths that we learn in this story is this. God doesn't need you and I to defend Him. Do you see that here in this story? Sometimes we think that we need to have a slick argument to defend God. But do you see here in this story, they had no argument. They offered up no thought that our God, 
Listen, we're simply not going to bow our knee to the gods of this world. We're not even going to address this matter anymore at all. We refuse to do it. Can I say to you this morning as a follower of Jesus Christ, God is big enough to defend himself. He doesn't need us to defend him in the world in which we live. What he needs more than anything else is godly men and women who will refuse to compromise their faith, refuse to bow their needs to the gods of this world. They will be faithful, walk by faith, not by sight, keeping their eyes fixed on him. That is who God needs. We'll live that way. And we will proclaim boldly with the words that we give. If our demonstration will match our proclamation, we will win a lost and dying world to Jesus Christ. God doesn't need us to defend Him. Let me say, when we think we've got to defend God, do you realize that is arrogant and prideful on our part to think that we could do anything to defend God? Can you see that? I mean, after all, folks, He is God. He's the creator of the universe. Now, I'm not saying there's not a time for us to study apologetics and to be able to share our faith. That's not what I'm meaning. But let me tell you, I've learned something very important in my time in the ministry. You and I will never, ever argue anyone to Christ Jesus. We are simply called to be faithful in sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. It is the Holy Spirit of God that draws and convicts a person unto the need or unto the need of salvation in their life. If we will just choose to live out our faith in a lost and dying world, if we will let our proclamation match the demonstration of our lives, I will tell you, God will defend himself and he will give you opportunities to make him known to a lost and dying world. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your love and just the truth of your word. What a powerful story here, Lord. And as we began to look at some truths, some lessons that we learned this morning from this story, I pray that we will simply not be people who are hearers of your word, but we would be doers of your word that we would take what we learned here this morning, we would apply it to our lives, that we might live by faith in this world that we are called to live in. Father God, it is a great struggle for all of us to be in the world and not be of the world. Father, it oftentimes happens so subtle in our lives. We make a little compromise here, a little compromise there, and before we know, we're bowing to our knees to the gods of this world. I pray that we would not do that, Lord. So, Father, I pray that we would take what we learned here this morning, we would take it out the doors of this church house, apply it to our lives that we might grow in a deeper and a more meaningful relationship with you. We pray this in Christ Jesus. Amen. This morning, in the time that we have left together, I want to offer you three truths or three lessons that we learn from the story of the fiery furnace. Three truths or lessons that when it's applied to our lives, I believe will enable us to walk with confidence through the fiery furnaces of this life. Truth number one, refusing to compromise your faith will always lead to persecution. Let me say it one more time. 
refusing to compromise your faith will always lead to persecution. Earlier when I read this passage of Scripture, three different times we read the phrase that says, bow down. Two times these men were commanded to bow down and to worship this idol that Nebuchadnezzar had made of himself. Can you imagine what it must have been like being on the plain of Dura on this day? Can you imagine what that must have felt like for these men? For just a moment this morning, what I want you to do is just to insert yourself into this story. And rather than seeing Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in this story, I want you to see yourself and two of your closest friends or a couple of your relatives in this story. Can you imagine on that day hearing over the loudspeaker when the music sounds, everyone will bow their knees and they will worship this idol, this form of King Nebuchadnezzar. And when the music began, everyone around you hit their knees except for you and your two friends. You want to talk about standing out in the crowd. On this day, there was no hiding for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. There was no such a thing as closet faith on this day on the plain of Dura. I don't know that we always fully appreciate the decision that these men made by refusing to compromise their faith. By not bowing their knees when the music played meant certain death for them. They had just defied the most powerful man on earth, King Nebuchadnezzar. When he told you to do something, you had better do it. But these men believed it was better to trust in God and please God than it was to trust in man, and they refused to bow their knees in spite of the consequences. They would not compromise their faith, and as a result of that, soon on the heels of that decision, persecution would follow in their lives. Now, I'll tell you something, that should not surprise us. This is a truth that we learn throughout the Word of God. If there is any lesson that we learn from the fiery furnace story, it is this. When you refuse to bow down to the idols of this world and dare to stand up for God, I promise you this, you will be persecuted. It was true of these men's lives and it is still true today. Have you ever noticed that the average American is bugged by the sold-out Christian? Have you ever noticed that? Have you ever noticed the person who chooses to live out their faith 24 hours a day, seven days a week, oftentimes people begin to think they are some kind of religious fanatic? I will tell you this, when you choose to become a sold-out Christian, there are Sunday-only Christians that will look at you like you are a kook. I mean, think about this story for a moment. 
It is such a powerful story. These three men could have compromised with the king and justified their actions by saying, everyone else is doing it, or our office demands that we obey the king, or we'll, uh, we'll bow our, with our knees but not with our heart. They could have said, we will do our people more good by being in the court of the king, but they did not rationalize and they did not compromise their faith. True faith doesn't look for loopholes. It simply obeys God and knows He will do what is best. True faith rests on the commands and the promises of God's Word, not on arguments and explanations. You see that? As I said earlier, we shouldn't be surprised with this truth. We shouldn't be surprised with the truth that if we refuse to compromise our faith, that it will lead to persecution in our life. This is a truth that is found throughout the Word of God. Listen to what it is that Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy, the third chapter and the twelfth verse. Paul writes to Timothy and he says, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Did you hear that verse? Now, you may hear that verse of Scripture this morning, and you may say to yourself, well, Brother Jeff, I'm not being persecuted. If that is true, could it be that your life has become so worldly, ungodly, that you no longer qualify? I mean, listen to the verse again. Just hear its words. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted with the exception of American Christians. That's not what it says, does it? I was seeing if you were awake. you see what I'm saying? It's a foregone conclusion. There are no exceptions. If you're not being persecuted, then you can draw, you can, can draw the conclusion, I'm not living a godly life. Paul very clearly writes here to Timothy and he says, listen, Timothy, whoever desires to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, the natural result of that will be you will be persecuted in this world. It is very clearly seen in the life of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They refuse to compromise their faith. They refuse to bow their knees to the gods of their world. And as a result of that, on the heels of that decision, comes the fact that they are persecuted. There are men that go to King Nebuchadnezzar, and they say, we want you to know there are three officials who have refused to bow your knee He's a gracious king. He says, I'll give you another opportunity, and yet they still refuse to do it. Do you see that in this story? It is so plain. It is so simple. When we refuse to compromise our faith, persecution will follow in our lives. I remember one time teaching this verse of Scripture to a group of street, uh, street vendors that I had started the ministry with in Zambia. Street vendors was a group of people that were on the fringes of society, 
Oftentimes they were drug addicts and alcoholics. And what they did is they would work on the streets selling their goods long enough to receive money to then go out and use it to get another fix. And those who didn't, most of them were, uh, uh, would, would, would try to take you for everything that you owned. It was not a good group of men. But I went to the street corner and I shared the gospel of Jesus Christ with them. And about 10 or 12 of these men came to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. One day, we were looking at the stories found in the Bible of what it is that God desires or Jesus Christ desires of all of His followers of Jesus Christ. And I told them this, guys, if you choose to live out your faith in your compounds and here on the street where you sell your goods, you will be mistreated. You may be beaten, disowned by your family and friends, talked about, and your goods may be stolen. I want you to realize there is a cost in following Jesus Christ. As I was sharing this verse of Scripture, I watched their faces. And much to my surprise, I began to see them smile. And then each one of them began to share story after story of how they were facing all kinds of persecution in their lives. They were excited. They were smiling. And you want to know the reason why they were smiling? It's because they realized the persecution they were facing simply showed that they were living godly lives. Do you see what I'm saying? They were excited about that. That they could be counted among the followers of Jesus Christ. And that their lives showed that they were seeking to live godly lives because daily they were facing persecution in their lives. You know, I don't think we view persecution in that way in America. I think oftentimes when we face persecution in our lives in America, the first prayer that is on our lips is, God, deliver me out of the hands of the persecution. I would challenge you sometime to take out a notebook paper or a notebook pad and a pencil and go through the book of Acts and read each account where the church in Acts was persecuted. And count the number of times they prayed to God and said, God, please deliver us from the persecution. You know how many times you'll find it? Not one single time. Do you want to know what they prayed? God, give us boldness to share the gospel of Jesus Christ as we stand in the face of of persecution. Isn't that a much different approach to persecution than we have in America? If you're like me, I don't like to suffer. How many people like to suffer? I don't like to. There's none. And man, if I think somebody's doing something bad against me or my family, the first thing I pray is, God, please deliver me out of this. I don't think that's always the right prayer, though. Maybe the prayer we should pray is, God, please give me boldness to continue to share the good news of Jesus Christ 
in the midst of the persecution that I'm facing. It would have been easy for these three men to have compromised with the king and justified their actions by saying, everyone else is doing it. But these men refused to bow their knees and compromise their faith. And as a result, they were persecuted. The first truth we learn from this story is this. If you choose to live out your faith in a lost and dying world, you can just expect persecution will follow. Number two, you'll never walk through the fire alone. This is one of the greatest promises found consistently throughout the Word of God. I want you to listen to what Isaiah said in chapter 43, verses 2 and 3 of his book. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you, and through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Did you hear what Isaiah said to the nation of Israel? He said, listen, Israel, don't worry when you go through challenging times as a nation. God will be with you. When you pass through the deep waters, when you go through the fire, don't be overwhelmed. Your Savior will walk with you through it. But I would tell you this is not just an Old Testament principle. This is a New Testament principle, isn't it? The writer of Hebrews closes his book with these words. The Lord will never leave you or forsake you, no matter what it is that you're going through in life. I want you to go back and listen to verses 24 and 25. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to him, King, true, O king. He answered and said, But I see four unbound men walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like the Son of the gods. The sons of the gods. On this day, King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished by what he saw. Three men went into the fire, but when he looked into the fire, there was not three men, but there were four. Now, I'll share with you something this morning. I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer. I'll tell you that right now. And I grew up and went to high school in Burkeville, Texas. But when I went to high school in Burkeville, Texas, if you put three in, you got three out. Wouldn't you agree with me on that? But in this story, when you put three in, do you see what you end up with in this story? You don't end up with three. You end up with four. There's a lot of debate about who this fourth figure is. I will just tell you, I believe that this fourth figure in the fire with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego is the pre-incarnate Christ. I believe that's who he is. I believe he is the son of of God. Think about it for a moment. Isn't this consistent with what we read in Scripture? Hey, Israel, when you go through the water, when you go through the fire, your Savior will be with you. In the book of Hebrews, what does the writer say? God will never leave you nor forsake you. And what do we see here in this story? 
in this story, we see one walking with them in the midst of the fiery furnace. Folks, when you choose to live for God, problems are going to come. You will be persecuted. You will go through the fiery furnaces of life. I do not want to mislead you this morning. There is a cost in following Jesus Christ. That is very clearly what Jesus tells us over and over again when he calls people to come and follow him. There is a cost. But I want you to know something. It is during those times we experience afresh the grace and the strength of the Lord in our lives. He says, I will pass with you through it. You will not go through it alone. That's one of the great promises. Listen, I don't know everything that everyone is going through today. But let me say this to you this morning. If you are faithful in your relationship with the Lord, you are walking by faith and not by sight. If you're choosing not to bow your knee to the gods of this world, whatever it is that you are going through this morning, I tell you today, you are not in it alone. There is a God who is with you. He loves you and He'll walk with you through whatever it is that you're facing in life. When you go through the fiery furnaces of life, I tell you, God is with you even when you don't feel like He is present. Even when you don't feel like He's present. He will go with you through it. I would think this morning if I took testimonies from this congregation, you could share story after story of fiery furnaces you have gone through where God walked with you through it all. Amen? We do. Truth number three, God uses the fiery furnaces of life to purify and strengthen our faith. Without the fiery furnaces, your faith will never be complete. When I say complete, I mean mature. God uses these times in our lives to mold us and to make us into the people that He desires for us to be. Let me ask you a question this morning. Do you think Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's faith was strengthened through this experience? Oh, there's no doubt it was. This experience only served to solidify and purify their faith. You know, this is a principle we see taught throughout the Word of God. On at least two different occasions in God's Word, a writer chooses to use the refining of precious metals to teach us about how God tests our faith in the midst of trials. Now, I'll share with you, I don't know a lot about precious metals. I'm not owned a lot. The first precious metal I owned was when I bought my wife an engagement ring. I don't know a lot about it, but I do know a little something about the making or the process of making steel. You ever been to a steel mill? When I was a boy growing up, or actually when I was in my young 20s, I guess I was already grown by that time, I worked for a company in Beaumont. 
And we did a job at the steel mill in Beaumont one year. Two months I worked in the steel mill. There are three things I remember from that experience. One, it was as hot as blue blazes. The time to have a job at the steel mill is not in July and August. I can just tell you that. First-hand experience, don't go there at that time. That is a December-January job or maybe a January-February job but not at that time. The second, I've never worked anywhere in all my life where I went home so filthy, dirty. They would pick up that junk iron that was covered with rust out of those rail cars and they would dump it in large pots and there was a red cloud of rust hanging over that place every day. And I would go home and it would literally cake my skin. I'd wash it off. The third thing I remember was this. I remember being intrigued by the process that they made by which they made steel. They had a huge crane that had a big, massive magnet on it. And that guy would take that magnet on that crane out there over the top of one of those rail cars, and he would drop it in that rail car, and he would pick up I don't know how many tons of steel old scrap iron and he would bring it over and he would put it in a huge pot he would drop it in that pot and when they got that pot filled all the way to the top another crane would come and pick up that pot and it would carry it into a furnace and man it was glowing red and yellow hot all day long and as that pot sat in that furnace that old scrap metal began to melt. And when they brought that pot out, it was glowing red. It was full of metal that had been melted. And then there was something unique that happened. There would be this guy that would come out. He was referred to as the skimmer. And he would take and rake off the top of that pot all of the impurities that rose to the top from when they heated that old rusty metal. One day during lunch, I called him and I asked him the question, why do you guys do that? Why do you go out there and scrape off that, the top of that molting metal or steel? And this is what he told me. He said, the more impurities you remove the stronger it makes the finished product the more impurities you remove the stronger it makes the finished product and then he walked me to the back of that plant and he said you see all of this steel out here he said, it's all worthless. And I began to walk through that steel, and this is what I began to realize. When they tested the strength of that steel, they broke it. And when they broke it, that which was impure looked like a honeycomb on the inside. He said, you see all of that? He said, those are the pieces where we didn't remove enough of the impurities and when we tested it at strength 
it failed. Listen, unless you and I go through the fiery furnaces of life, God will never be able to strengthen and purify our faith to the point that he can use us to bring honor and glory to his name. It is only as we go through the fiery furnaces of life that God can remove the impurities of our lives and mold us into the people that he desires for us to be. But it won't happen if you don't pass through the fire. Now let me say this. When you pass through the fire, you always come out looking different than when you entered the fire. Did you notice that in this story when I read it earlier? When Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego went into the fire, what did it say about them? They were bound. And when they came out of the fire, what did it say about them? They came out unbound. You know why that is? You can never be in the presence of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and not be changed. When we find ourselves in the presence and we walk through the fire, the fiery furnaces of life with Jesus Christ, He always changes us. He always makes us a different people. The story of three men who refused to compromise their faith. They went through the fiery furnace of life, came out on the other side. God strengthened and purified their faith, and God used them to bring honor and glory to his name. They refused to serve the gods of their world, and they chose to serve the one true living God. Let me ask you a question this morning. Which God are you serving today? Are you chasing after the gods of this world? I will tell you. If you chase after the gods of this world, they will leave you empty and hopeless. Or are you chasing after the one true living God of the universe? Father God, we thank you for your love and the truth of your word and the way it speaks into our hearts and lives. Father, as we come to this time of invitation, I pray that each one of us would respond in the manner in which we need to respond. Father, maybe it's an opportunity or it's an opportunity for each one of us to stop and examine our lives, to ask ourselves the challenging question, who is my God? Am I chasing after the gods of this world, power and prestige and materialism, or am I serving the one true living God? Have I compromised my faith, or am I standing strong in my faith? Father, if there is someone here this morning who does not know you as their Lord and Savior, Father, I pray today would be the day that they would enter into a relationship with you. Father, we give you this time and pray that you would work in your perfect way in our lives. 
In Jesus' name, amen.